So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Charlie's gonna dig you. And that gospel group. Hey everybody, welcome to the Watch This Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And, to, and this week we're going to continue our Oscars catch-up, because I feel like that's the best thing we can call this. And we're <laughs> going to talk about the winner for Best Supporting Actor. Last week it was Actress, this week it's Actor. We're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which Brad Pitt won Best Supporting Actor for. So this is a film that I had seen before, but you guys had not, and I... So I made you watch it for this week. Um, so, yeah, we'll get right into it. Uh, I watched this the day before New Year's Eve because I had a feeling that this was going to be one of my favorite movies of last year. And I was correct. <laughs> I couldn't do I couldn't do prep on everything for favorite movies of the year when we did our year end episode. But I could watch that. So I did. And it ended up being one of my favorites. Um. So before we get into what you guys think of the movie, w- Ryan, what are your general thoughts on Quentin Tarantino? Oh, it's a mixed bag. Okay. Definitely a mixed bag. Um, there are some movies of his that I absolutely love. And then there's others where I just kind of watch and like, hmm, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, like I would have to say probably my three or four favorite like films of his would be Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill One. Um I'm a fan of Django Unchained. Django, the D silent. Yeah, yeah. That I always pronounce the D everybody tells me the the D silent. Like, I, I was just quoting the movie. So No, I I know, that's fine. I'm just saying <laughs> everybody does that to me. Um and this one. Like okay. so like these four are probably like, you know, my my favorite of his. Way to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh Devin, how about you? What what are your thoughts on Quentin Tarantino? I always take a really long time to see his movies because I always want to hate them for no reason at all. Because one of them will come out and it'll be like, Ugh, another Quentin Tarantino movie. I won't go see this one. And then like through some like, you know, quirk of fate i'll go see the whatever movie it was i did this for both kill bills i did this for uh you know reservoir dogs reservoir dogs took me a very long time to watch like i kept trying to start it and then wouldn't start it uh but every time i finish a quentin tarantino movie i love it and i think i'm trying to think i don't think i've seen one i didn't like if i'm being honest but i also haven't seen many but i don't think i've seen any i don't like all right i if i'm gonna list my top three it's once upon a time in hollywood inglorious bastards and I like both Kill Bills. I haven't watched them mm. in forever, but yeah. I like both of them. Still haven't seen The Hateful Eight, but I need to sit down and just watch the miniseries they did on Netflix. Yeah. All right. So 
Devin, I'll start with you because I watched this movie with Ryan, so I already kind of know how he feels about it. (laughs) What did you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? This was so good. Um, So something that I don't know if you guys know is um, like about a month ago, I ended up getting the book Helter Skelter uh, on Audible because it was one of like the buy one, get one free like deals they had. So I've been listening to like the Charles Manson murders like through this like book on my on on Audible. And I didn't know this movie was going to get that deep into it. But the whole time I was like, oh, my gosh, that's that person. Oh, and they're actually doing that thing. Oh, and then they're going to go to the ranch. Oh, the movie ranch. And like the whole time I was like, oh, the thing from the book, that's the thing that's real. And like the whole time I thought it was so cool that they got like a lot of the historical stuff. Very, very right to the point where when they finally got to that Quentin Tarantino turn that they always do, it was so funny to me. Like and and we'll talk about specifics, I'm sure, later. But like the last, oh, my gosh, 45 minutes of this movie was probably my favorite part of any movie like this year at all. So I mentioned before, I'm, I'm glad that you were reading that book because I wanted to do I wanted to do research on the mate. Manson murders and all of that, but I just didn't get a chance yeah. to. So you'll probably have a lot of that info. I do. Um, yeah. But there's a moment when I was watching this with Ryan, he did. Hey, it's fair to say you had no clue what this movie was about, right? No, I had no idea. So there's a point where, um, Charlie Manson, Charles Manson walks up to Sharon Tate's house. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that the moment that you realized that that's what this was about. As soon as they, sh- well, I had an inkling before they showed Manson. It was when it was the second time around showing the group of girls just walking down mm. the street. And I was thinking to myself, like, as soon as I saw them, my thought process was, huh, Hollywood, late 60s, group of random young women. I wonder if they're trying to allude to, like, you know, like the Marilyn Man, uh, Marilyn Manson, the whole Charles Manson thing that was going on, you know, like the yeah. different groups of like the little like hippie enclaves going on. And Manson came into my mind. And then when they showed the actor dressed the way he was, it was just an explanation point. It was, oh, that's Charles Manson. Like there wasn't any explanation because it was like I said it right away, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Or something like I like I recognized him right off the bat. Yeah, I, I turned to you. I was like, do you know what this is about now? You're like. Manson. I was like, yep. <laughs> I could see the light bulb click on in your head. Like it was wonderful just to have that moment, even though it wasn't for me, it was for you. Like I, yeah. I knew when they were filming this, that this was a Manson murders movie because they like Margot Robbie is Sharon Tate and yeah. like, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino is doing a Manson movie with, Robert, ah. with a uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. So yeah, no, I had no idea that this was supposed to be like a, uh, a Charles Manson thing. Yeah. So real quick, before I forget, I need to bring up something very odd about this movie. So the movie opens on February 8th, 1969. Mm -hmm. That's the exact day my mom was born. Oh, that's so cute. And it's, it's, it's kind of the weird thing where I don't know if I want to tell her this. (laughs) (laughs) She'll never watch this. She, she probably won't. Um, she probably doesn't even listen to this podcast, so <laughs> she'll never know. She'll never know. I should tell her. It's a fun bit of trivia. Yeah. Um, maybe it's I, like her favorite movie for some reason. She, she just watches until he, uh, 
she watches up until the point where he comes back from Italy. And then, yeah, I, I feel like she'll like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I had notes. Oh, really? Great. Yes. Um, that was the first one. Okay. So I have a fr- friend of the show, uh, Mike, who did our photos for us that we've been slowly rolling out on the social media. So if you haven't seen them yet, go check out our Facebook page, or our Instagram. He did headshots for us, did some photos while we were recording an episode. Um, I, was talking to him the, I was talking to him the other night and he's been watching a lot of movies lately, uh, just getting caught up on everything from the Oscars. And he said, you really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's no plot. <laughs> what? I was, like, I was like, you're right. There isn't a standard narrative plot. It's it's character driven. Yeah. What did mm-hmm. you guys think of? of that, the focusing on different characters and just having their stories play out on their own. So I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, So now that you mentioned that I remember uh, something that happened when this movie came out. So my mom and stepdad, this was like the first movie that they could agree on that they wanted to see in years. Mostly it was my stepdad wants to go watch a Marvel movie, drags my mom. My mom (laughs) wants to go see a rom-com drags my stepdad this one they collectively went that's the movie we want to see together and we're excited about it they watched it and then told us it is the worst movie ever made and they said that there was no reason for the movie and that they hated it so i forgot that this kind of reaction is totally a thing but i really like character driven stories a lot i don't need that standard a b you know, your, you know, three act structure. Like I don't need the standard Hollywood plot. I do like what they did here a lot because they made the characters interesting enough that I just wanted to follow them. Okay. Ryan, what did you think? Uh, I didn't really realize that there wasn't an overall plot because I was so invested in the film. I think you have a combination of great actors playing great characters and they're just playing that through to the point where to me, like, if you would have asked me after after we were done watching the film, like, you know, what the overall like story was besides the Manson thing, I just would have been, you know, it's the, you know, it, it it's about an old, it's about a, it's about an old actor trying to deal with, you know, post stardom life, like that's what I saw it as. So I'm really surprised that people would say that there's no overall like plot to it. I mean, there's a each character has their own plot. Like yeah. DiCaprio's is probably the strongest. Yeah. Like he has mm-hmm. the strongest arc. Um, Brad Pitt is just kind of there. And then Sharon <laughs> Tate is just enjoying being Sharon Tate. To me, like the, the DiCaprio's arc was the strongest, but I was most interested in Brad Pitt's. Okay. I really liked his character and, and and because I I just liked the subtle hints to his background, the whole, you know, did he kill his wife? Didn't he kill his wife? Uh. Um, how that like he's he's pretty he, he pretty much volunteered to be DiCaprio's like like in home help. Like he voluntarily did that. He didn't have to. Yeah. And so there's a lot there to that character that I like. I think besides like the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio had the stronger arc, I almost unless like I think unless I think if you didn't tell me that uh, Brad Pitt had like one best supporting actor, 
I would have almost called this Brad Pitt's movie because I think he ran away with it. I think that every time he was on the screen, that was my favorite part of what was happening right now. I think DiCaprio did a good job. I think Brad Pitt did a great job. Brad, Brad Pitt does steal this movie for me too. Um, even like just that sequence on the ranch, they do oh, such a man. good job of just building tension. Oh yeah. Uh, with all of the Manson family coming out of the, the huts, and, <laughs> um, just his like cockiness that whole time. Well, that was one of those things where like, as soon as, as soon as I realized that that one uh, character was Manson and then he goes to the ranch and knowing about the ranch and knowing, you know, what it was and everything like, but also knowing Tarantino, I knew I was like, they're telling the truth. He's actually in the back room. Brad Pitt's going to be fine. Like he's going to piss them off. Yeah. But he's going to be fine. So it was one of those things of just knowing Tarantino. Like I knew that the guy was going to be back there, but they did a great job building that tension, like you said, because it was like every interaction got more tense, got more serious. The pauses and the speech got longer. Like it was it was really well done. One of my favorite moments of that whole thing is when he's actually in the house to go see George. The The movie score is the movie score is just from the TV show that um, she's watching in the. Other oh, room. yeah. yeah. Um, and I learned a few things watching this through the second time, mostly actors that I didn't realize were in the this scene. Like <laughs> Lena Dunham is in this scene. <laughs> she's one of the the girls on the ranch. Oh, wow. And, and the one who's at the house with George is Dakota Fanning. Is it really? Yes. Wow. I, I had no idea. Yeah, she plays Squeaky. One thing I did know is that the George character was supposed to be played by Burt Reynolds, but he <gasps> passed away before he could play it. That's a shame. Um, that would have been such a cool role for him. It, it is a shame because... Part of the whole Rick Dalton thing is that episode of FBI that he, they put him in. Mm -hmm. it, that role was played by Burt Reynolds. Oh, wow. And the episode aired like three years before this, or yeah. maybe four years before this. So I, I also did a thing this week for this episode where I watched the cinema sins, everything wrong with once upon a time in Hollywood before we recorded. Probably not going to yeah. do that again because there's so many things I just want to nitpick because of what they did. But that, that's one the one thing they, they focused on is like the how much will this world change if Rick Dalton like just because he exists like that episode airs four years later and he's replacing Burt fucking Reynolds. Yeah, that's um, a good point. I mean, because I, I don't know there that was some of my favorite stuff that this movie did, though, was show his place in history. But mm -hmm. it's a good point. Like, how much would history have changed if there was just one extra very famous actor in Hollywood? Was it or, like, even, like, the events at the end of the movie, how much would that change things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I brought this up to Alan. Like, he did Inglorious Bastards. Um, and he's... I really like Tarantino when he does the whole, like, changing of history thing. Just throwing one thing in there that's different and then seeing how that affects, you know, like, a major historical event. And for this country, it's the Manson murders, well, the first ones. So, I mean. Well, I mean, he does a good job also of history catharsis. And I didn't realize this until this movie where he picks an objectively terrible group and just makes a complete mockery of them for like you know, movie. And 
it's just it's so I mean honestly it's so cathartic to watch like reading Helter Skelter and hearing how like terrible these people are and then just seeing them be these huge idiots like is so like it feels good and I don't know why but it felt good I was going to ask, like, he does that to the Manson family. Do you think he also makes a mockery of actors a little bit in this? Or just Hollywood in oh, general? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say probably more directors than anything else. I mean, maybe. Well, that's because you and I watched that deleted scene. Yeah, no, 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 no. I know, I know. But, <laughs> but, but not just that deleted scene. Like, I thought that when they were sitting down and they were talking about the role on the set of the uh of the uh the first episode of that show the pilot yeah and it mm-hmm. was the theatrical cut of of that conversation of them just going back and forth and it was just and it was just the director talking in circles and leonardo leonardo's character just like throwing whatever the guy was saying back at him not really knowing what he meant or you know trying to understand what he was saying to me, that that's almost making fun of like a stereotype of certain directors. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he was putting in, you know, stuff that he does, or if it was just stuff that he kind of like notices other people doing. I feel like Tarantino's gonna make fun of himself a little bit. Yeah, mm. but speaking uh, of making fun of people, was anyone else kind of shocked at how they handled Bruce Lee in this movie? Yes, because okay. I I saw his bit in the trailer and I went. Okay, they're going to make like a a jab at him because Brad Pitt's going to be the most self-aware character in the scene. Neat. But they like he was not a likable guy at all for any minute of that. Okay, so I don't do you know about the backlash from that that they got? I know nothing about the backlash from that. And I don't know if that's even what Bruce Lee's really like. And I'm curious to know if that's close. Bruce Lee's family came out and spoke out against this saying he was nothing like that. This is a horrible depiction. Like, I think they tried to sue, um, wow. but they were not, ha- not shocked. They were, they weren't happy about it. Here's, here's my defense of his portrayal in this. We're seeing him in a flashback from cliff booth cliffs point of view. So it's going to yeah. be skewed to make him look better because it's all in his head. This isn't like actually what happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's like inception level flashbacks within a flashbacks. Like, yeah, it's weird. Um, so it like it's not a reliable narrator from that point in that sequence because it's all flashbacks from in Cliff's mind. Like he's thinking back to this. And at the end of it, he's like, yeah, I was I was in the right. Like, not a big deal. Like, I, I don't care if I don't get to work on this show that Rick's do, doing. Yeah. Um, but I do love that sequence because the whole like up until the point where they they throw fists, it's a one shot. And I just love oh. that. I didn't even realize it was a one shot. That was really well done. The best ones you don't. Yeah. The best ones are the ones you don't realize. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah it, it was good. Even if it's a flashback, though, I mean, the fact that you only have him in it that one time, like it's not like they he's have not, him. No, he's in it more. Yeah, but okay, so th- they have him in there to say one word and a laugh because he's working with Sharon Tate on her like moves or whatever. Yeah. He because, trained, he trained her to, for the karate stuff. Yeah. To me still, like, I feel like if you're going to have a flashback and betray him to being that big of a douche, which he wasn't, I mean, I, I think it would be better if they would have had maybe a more, you know, just a little bit longer flashback showing, you know, who, who he truly was. 
and not, you know, like, you know, some egotistical maniac. Well, here's the thing, though. It's like the problem with this is it's not. It's not like it's based on true events, but it's revisionist history. Well, true. So it's like I don't. I don't need the revisionist version of Bruce Lee to be spot on. As in a in a flashback from a guy who's drinking on a roof in the middle of Southern California in the afternoon. I get that. From somebody who has seen multiple documentaries on Bruce Lee, who likes Bruce Lee, likes no, what it's he stood fu- for. It's fine. It was jarring. Okay. And I hated it. <laughs> oh, did you really hate that? I I get why they did it. I get the whole thing with him thinking about, you know, doing a flashback, him being drunk. Like I get that. And of course he's going to, it was probably two sentences that he heard Bruce Lee supposedly say, because he was basically just repeating the the lines over and over and over again. He really wasn't saying anything else except for I could take down Cassius Clay. Like that's all he was saying. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bruce Lee probably only said two lines and then that got him to be mad enough to like want to fight him. I, I just love the exchange from the trailer. My hands are reg- registered weapons. If I kill you, yeah. I go to jail. Anybody kills anybody goes to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> that that had like the cadence of every part I liked about Inglorious Bastards, honestly. Yeah. Have you speaking what? of you? I, yeah, no, I made a face. I have seen Inglorious oh. Bastards. There's maybe two parts of that movie I like. That movie to me is a depiction of like where Tarantino is like walking the line for, you know, for like what I like and goes mm-hmm. to Tar- Tarantino E. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think I think that movie's literally the ultimate expression of his cathartic history. I mean, it's. Let's oh, make yeah. an idiot out of the Nazis for two hours. And yeah. that's fine. I love that aspect of the film. There's just yeah. a lot of little things with with like uh, the writing, uh, certain quotes, like the way certain uh, characters behave. I was like, OK, I get it. It's Tarantino. This is just too ta- this is just too much for me. That's all that was. OK. So did you guys catch the connection to those movies in this, though? Because I did. And I actually didn't look this up. I caught them live. Huh? What was it? So when he when DiCaprio flies over to Italy to go work for Italian directors, uh, he works for Gorlami and Margarete. And those are two of the people that they say that they are in Inglorious Bastards. So okay. like the one scene where they were like, what's your name? He's like, Margarete. He's like, no, no, no. With more with more sauce. He's like, Margarete. And like does this like with his hands. <laughs> like it was that one. I was like, oh, connections. Yay. <laughs> There's also the red apple cigarettes. Yeah. That they I didn't the, catch that. Yeah, the red apple cigarettes show up in the. Did you watch past? The, did you watch the credits? Or did you no. Just, Should okay. I have kept going? Yeah, Oof. in the credits, uh, Rick Dalton does oh. a commercial for red apple cigarettes, which are the yeah. cigarettes that are smoked throughout the Tarantino movies. Oh and no then, way! Yeah. Um, yep. I don't know if you can still watch it. I don't, did you rent it or? I rented it. Yeah, I okay. can probably find the scene. Yeah, I know it's a deleted scene on there, there's like an extended version on the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray. Yeah. But then the, the credits also end with a uh, Batman and Robin radio contest ad. 
Yep. With Bert <laughs> Ward and Adam West. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Where, where you could visit, went a trip to the Batcave and visit Batman and Robin for lunch. Oh, my gosh. I love that. But, um, when this movie started, I really liked the way they started it off with the fanfare that they did. And they made it go pink. That was a note that I wrote down. Like, in the clouds. Like, they just, they made it go pink and it went all, like, 60s. And it went right the into 60s the 60s logo for Columbia Pictures? Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, this is why I shouldn't watch the CinemaSins stuff before this. Because they're like, they gave them credit for doing the old, re- this is the last time I'm going to mention this video. They do, they give them credit for that. But when it says a Sony company at the bottom, like, Sony didn't buy them until 1988. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um. See, that's why I don't watch CinemaSins because, I mean, I watch it. It's just like they I I've listened to all of their podcasts and they love movies so much that it's just infectious. Like and then watching their videos for something that you've you've just seen or don't care about seeing. They just it's so much fun to me. I enjoy I enjoy. They are fun videos. Yeah. No, I like them. I mean, it's just not what. And you can't take them seriously. You can't be like, these are my notes on the movie now, too. Like, yeah, no, it's just fun things that they point out, like because they, they spent they watch movies two or three times while while they're sitting them. Yeah. It, just to take wow. notes. And sometimes they're going scenes frame by frame, looking at stuff in the background like they went through and checked the release dates of all the movies on the marquees in this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And they get paid for this. Yeah, that's my <laughs> guys. It's just my dream job is to work for CinemaSins. So understood. Um, all right. Uh, there's one thing. There's uh two things we need to talk about in this movie. Multiple oh, yeah? times. Did you guys notice that Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish? I was going to. Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. All right. Too does. many feet and, and too many feet that weren't clean, by the way. Well, the, the not clean ones were mostly the hippies, right? I think Sharon's weren't clean at one point, too, when she was in the theater. Well, yeah, it's because she wasn't wearing socks at her boots. Yeah. I mean, I get that it's realistic, but I was like, no, thanks. So here's my here's my theory on this. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole Internet knows Tarantino has a foot fetish. I think that he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to lean into it and fuck all of y'all. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to lean into it and there's no one can stop me. I'm going Tarantino. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah, I can see it. I can yeah. really see that. And I don't know if I love it, but good for him. It's also like Kevin Smith just being like, I like weed. Here's weed in my movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, we pretty much covered most of my notes. I have some. Oh, wow. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's weird because we have a different setup now. So, like, I can only see Ryan's eyes. Yeah. It's creepy. So, the you mentioned before about the use of the radio. How, like, that was yes. the soundtrack and, like, the TV. One of the things that stood out was the news broadcast that they had was amazing. Because they had, uh, they had a bunch of, like stuff going on in the background like tensions with russia and like occasionally you'll you'll just hear a snippet of like 
the USSR is doing this, we're doing that, this person's saying to do this. Like, it's stuff that's kind of, like, showing you, be like, hey, yeah, we've always been in a constant state of, like, panic. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was uh, just the, uh, the radio commercials, the use of it, it was very realistic. And I wouldn't be surprised if they actually pulled... Um, actual recordings from news broadcasts oh they definitely did Uh, every everything that you heard on the radio was from the radio back then like in the credits they gave the station credit good they just took it from the archives yeah and then the one thing that i made a note of and it was the last note i made because i just i got too into the movie to stop and write Mm -hmm. um i loved when you you start off the film with leo and brad pitt and they're just going back and forth. They're doing errands. He's Brad Pitch driving Leo around and then they get home and then he makes the comment of, oh, you know, pick me up tomorrow at 730 sharp. You know, I'll be there. You need to be up. And they show him go from the yellow caddy into the blue rusted out two seater little sportster. And I thought that was an amazing way to show the contrast between the two characters. You have these two people who've worked on the exact same shows. You know, they they have led the same professional career, except for one being the actor, one being the stuntman. And they showed that class difference between those two jobs. And as soon as they showed the car, I knew that he'd be driving to some rundown apartment, some broken down home, and it ended up being a trailer. And it was perfect. Outside of a drive-in theater. Exactly. That's where my dream home would be. Like just in the back of a <laughs> drive-in theater. You just look out your, sit on your porch and watch a movie. Well, I mean, I like the symbolism was, of where the house was there too, though. Cause he wasn't at the drive-in. He wasn't in the movies. He was adjacent to them. Yeah. 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 It's almost like when uh, Tarantino is saying something about stuntmen and how they don't get their due. Yeah. Because no. they don't, they, there yeah. should be a Oscar co- category for best stunt performance yeah so tom cruise is probably win every year there's a mission impossible movie but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the uh when it came to this i remember when this movie came out or around when it came out um there was i i i heard some snippets of like news articles and and heard some interviews about like stunt workers in hollywood yeah, I guess there was a documentary that came out or something, or it might have been this movie that came out that got people talking about it, about, you know, like the uh, stunt people and like the amount they get paid, um, the risk involved in it. And it just it all came up. Uh, it all came back to the surface again. Like, I guess there's they've been wanting to have an award like the best stunt person of the year or something. Yeah, they mm. a lot of people have been pushing that for that for years and it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But the the Oscars are very slow to change for anything. So, yeah, they are. Um, So, Devin, I've got a question for you. Okay. They filmed this in the summer of 2018. Did you see them film film any of this out in L.A.? Because you were there. No, I don't think I saw. I was. I don't think I saw any of it, honestly. And a lot of a lot of the places that they were are around where I am now and not really where I used to be. Okay. So like some of it, like had I lived here, I think I would have run into it. Like at one point, Brad Pitt asked that hitchhiking lady, like, are you just going up and down Burbank? And like Burbank is a block that way. Okay. 
So like, I don't know. I, I wish I would have seen some of them filming because that would have been so cool. Did you recognize any landmarks in the yeah, 1960 so, setting? The weird, one of the weirder ones was uh, at the very end, like on the night of the murders, they had like a montage of like the places like shutting down. They were doing like B-roll shots of places. And there's a Wiener Schnitzel like place that's literally <laughs> a block away from me. And I was like, oh, it's that place. Nice. Yeah. Um, so what the night of the murders where um, mm-hmm. the when Sharon Tate's going to the Mexican restaurant restaurant and there's an adult movie premiere down the street. Yeah. That yeah. was at the New Beverly Theater, which is owned by Quentin Tarantino. Used <laughs> to be a porno. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, I didn't um, know that. Devin, I had a question for you. Yeah. Because you brought this up before uh, about like um, and I forget if it was on the last podcast or if it was afterwards. We were just talking how. Uh-huh. You like when it comes to like period pieces like this that are like set in a certain time, you 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 like it when they do it right, as in like you where where it's like you can't tell that it wasn't yeah. filmed in like 1960 or 1950. Like you like. Yeah, you, you you like that aspect of it. Did this do that? Like, did they do enough like exterior stuff to like it just it just wasn't a bunch of old cars driving by? No, they nailed it in this because some of the places they drove past look different today. Because, I mean, I, I've been to some of the places they've been to. like, And some of the places that they they drive past look, I mean, very different. Like, But they you could tell they like digitally like changed it to be more 19, 1960s. And that was so perfect. And they did it so well. So, like, it, like, it had that feeling of being 1960s. Not like, all right, that's, that's modern day. There's a modern McDonald's in the background, but there's an old car. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so Devin, did they do the, did they do represent the past so well that you cannot watch any movie that takes place in the past without thinking of this one because they did it so well? That's a good question. Um, like, 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 Marriage Story ruined rom coms for you because okay, I don't think this ruined. I don't think this ruined an, another genre of movie for me. But I will say that I'm watching a movie or a, a Netflix series now called. I think it's called I hate it or I'm not okay. It's not, I'm not okay with this. And I think, I think that series takes place in modern day, but you can tell they're going for like kind of the stranger things, nostalgia aspect a little bit. So like everyone's favorite song is like an 80s song and like, um, like people drive older model cars and I, I can't tell if it's supposed to be like a place thing. So it takes place in like backwoods, Pennsylvania somewhere or if it's supposed to kind of be like nostalgic, but modern because everyone has cell phones, too. And like that, like, is distracting a little bit for what me in a way phones? that it wasn't. It, in this. it just takes place in Perry County. <laughs> I mean, it takes place in Beaver County, actually. OK. Yeah. So real close. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen them, but they all talk about their phones. Or maybe one of the characters had an iPhone and I just forget. I think someone had an iPhone. Well, then they can't be a villain. Did you hear yeah, about that? Right. About, I heard about that. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I really Good wish job, I Apple. didn't know about that because now when I watch <laughs> Knives Out for the first time, I'm going to keep paying attention to who has an iPhone. Yeah. Because I still have not seen Knives Out. So yeah, you, that needs to happen on this podcast. It's such a good movie. Uh, yeah. Um, um, okay. So there was a couple things that I wanted to talk about. Go for it. First, this needs, this is big for me. Guys. Guys, the great escape. 
That is one of my favorite movies of all time. And they recreated almost an entire scene with Leonardo DiCaprio in it. And, like, I lost my mind the whole time. Like, ask Romana. She was watching it with me. And, like, I was not okay. <laughs> did you guys think it was cool? Or did it walk that Forrest Gump line where you could all, like, you could, because I watched it, um, I watched it here. And, like, I thought it was cool and liked it for what it was. But there are times where I was like, you tell he's just digitally in there. Oh, no. See, the whole, like, I can tell that he's in there like that, that doesn't bother me because okay. of the type of feel that this movie was going for. And I mean, because the I couldn't tell if his body was attached to his head or if they only see him in from the neck up and if they did that purposely, because it was like his neck and his head movements weren't matching what, like, the shoulders were doing for some of those scenes in there. Um, and I knew that they were just doing it as in he was, he was doing what Brad Pitt did before where he was, you know, remembering something. Leo was imagining himself in that scene. Yeah. So, so, so to me, any weirdness about how it looked, it didn't bother me because it was like a dream thing. That's really cool that you say it that way because I actually took that scene very differently, and I like your interpretation of it. How else could you have taken that? I so I took that as he actually filmed with them, oh. and his test stuff just wasn't working, so they switched him out for Steve McQueen, and that he was lying about not being a part of it. See, that's how I took it too. I was like, it doesn't make sense that they filmed with all of those extras for a screen test. I like Ryan's take on it though that it's a it's a dream. Yeah, good, yeah. good job, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's I, I like that take a lot. You win the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I really like that a lot more than what I was thinking before. So were you Damn. thinking what I was thinking? Yeah, I, you and I were yeah. on the same page. Ryan's like off in yeah. another plane of exi- existence. Probably more correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, making us I, look bad. I mean, Alan, <laughs> it's like what you said. They have all the extras. They have, you know, everybody yeah. set up for it. No, it, it didn't make sense to me. Like, I, I was like, yeah. why Why is it so detailed if you didn't actually get the part? That makes perfect sense. Oh, now, I though. took it yeah. as like, I took it as like Back to the Future, how they like shot most or not most, but some of the movie with the one actor and then went, this just isn't working and fired him and, and hired Michael J. Fox. Man, I want to see the Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, this. I, do I, too. Have, I have some of the scenes. But... Eric Stoltz cut. That's <laughs> the Stoltz cut. I mean, in a world we where we never get Back to the Future four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. But Devin, I'm so happy to hear that you like Great Escape because I definitely oh. would have. If somebody would have. If, if Alan would have asked me, hey, do you think Devin has seen The Great Escape? I would have said no. So I am. Oh, really? really? It's one of my favorite movies. I am really happy that you. Uh, I'm I'm really happy about the statement that you just made, because if I try to. Explain it, <laughs> myself, it, um, it's, a, it's a shame that none of us haven't seen The Great Escape, that we can't do it on the podcast. I think Alan's trying to say something. Oh, wait, I've never seen The Great Escape, guys. <gasps> but, we have to do The Great Escape but, for the podcast, guys. Devin, have you seen yeah. uh have you seen the dirty dozen? No. That one I haven't seen. I've seen the fish escape and finding Nemo. It's the same thing, right? Huh? <laughs> uh, the, yeah, pretty much. The fish escaping and finding Nemo. Which part which 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 part of the escape? The 
fish. Willem to fish. Yeah, Willem to fish. <laughs> there are so many times fish escape in Finding Nemo. It, so it's this I'm, part. Shark bait. Hoo ha ha. Oh, is this supposed to relate towards Great Escape or 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 the Dirty Dozen? I'm confused. Both. No. Both. Hogan's <laughs> Heroes. Yes. Here we Another go. good movie. No, but yeah, th- 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 me personally, I put the, the Dirty Dozen over The Great Escape. Wow. But that's wow, okay. that's a personal thing. I understand that a lot yeah. of people are not going to agree with that, but that's just me. So I'm gonna have to watch it then. Yeah. It's good. So I know you I know you guys didn't get too much into it, but I do want to talk a little bit about the historical accuracy with some of it. Oh please yeah, don't do. go ahead, please, like, please. Because a lot of it was really spot on. So the whole the whole part with the movie ranch was absolutely correct. They even got the timeline of all of that right, where about when he would have been there, Charlie wasn't there. And then they left that ranch shortly afterwards because um, they got kicked off of the ranch because they were stealing cars. And they even referred a couple times in it to the chop shop, mm-hmm. which is where Tex was going. Tex was a real character. Sadie was a real character. Sadie was one of the main people that confessed to the murders beforehand, and she was the one that got it the hardest, um, the one that got, like, flamethrowered in the pool. Um, she was the one that confessed to actually killing Sharon Tate herself. And, like, her account of the tale is, like, just gra- like so graphic and so terrible and so awful. Wow. So, like, I'm glad they picked her out to be the one that got the most, like, messed up. Um, the dialogue was even spot on where like when Tex says we're the devil and we're here to do the devil's deed or something like that's real things they said like really pulled from that which is which blows my mind all of the timing of all of it worked exactly perfectly and literally until they got to the car and started talking about like oh my god was that Rick Dalton like the the guy from that show (laughs) yeah which like as soon as he comes out and gets them to back out of the road that's when everything changes yeah. Like yeah. if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for him making margaritas at midnight, the moral of the yeah. movie is drink more margaritas, guys. You're exactly. gonna <laughs> save you're gonna save people from murderous cults. Was the The only thing Oh go ahead. No, go, 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 go. The only thing that would have been wrong. Uh, the only thing that would have been wrong was when they drove up in the car, there was technically one two other people at the Tate household. There was a guest house and the person that was there was looking over the dogs whenever um, they were gone or whenever uh, Roman Polanski was gone. Uh, and his friend came over to try to sell him a clock radio. The person that was watching the dogs was locked in the guest house the entire time and survived everything. The guy that went to go sell him the clock radio was murdered in his Jeep just outside of it. And he wasn't a part of the movie at all. But that was probably the biggest difference, like the only difference really between history and this. The guest house is actually in a deleted scene that we watched. It uh, is. Because when, oh, is it? when Manson goes to find um, whatever beach boy he's going to find, uh, <laughs> he goes to the guest house and talks to the guy who's there because he's like renting out the house. And, oh, wow. And, and he has a dog there with him. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. So, Good job, movie. I don't know if you know this, Devin, but Tarantino said that this has like a four or five hour cut somewhere. And he's thinking about it. he's thinking about splitting it up into a miniseries for Netflix like he did The Hateful Eight. I'm I'm so on board. I like this so. movie so much. All right. So what else we got historically? What historical wise? 
I'm trying to remember what I was going to ask him before. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, those are really the big points. Is they got the? I mean, they even got the timeline of their night completely right. Where like they went out for that Mexican dinner like beforehand. I I don't know about them playing piano, but like they had like they had all of the people right. Like Mrs. Folger or Ms. Folger, like was one of the people. And oh man, it just yeah. Like they had so much of it right that the second it deviated from reality, it was such a riot for me. No, I remembered. Okay. Yeah. They show the four of them in the car. Pull up. It deviates. Leo comes out. They back down the road. And the one leaves. The one just escapes. Mm -hmm. Like, the one leaves the three there. Who is that? Like, was that a reference to somebody that maybe Tarantino believes got like dragged, got, you know, like dragged along or was kind of a victim of the whole thing? Because that almost seemed like an easy out for that person. Wasn't the actress that played her Mia Hawk? Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know who that was in reference to in real life. I, I, um, I read it on IMDb. If you give me a minute, I can find it because I, I do know yeah. there, there is something with that. Um, is there because I, that part I actually don't know. Um, yeah, as as far as I know, like most of them were like all just as guilty as the other. But I mean, I might not. I might be very wrong in that aspect, and that's fine. Yeah, because I mean, because um, I mean, it could be that maybe one of the people that was forced to go to do the murders was like was you know like tricked into being high or something, right? Or on like acid or something, it was like forced to come along. So maybe that was like Tarantino's way of like, hey, you know, this is an out for for you to not have been there. Or something, because to me, like, if all four of them went to go do that, then all four of them should have died. Right, right. Like, why did she get to survive of any of them there? Yeah. I mean, at the very least, they did get the weapons that they had correct, though. I mean, there were three knives in the gun, and the gun was only used on the one victim. So, like, that part I thought was a cool little detail. One of them was, like, a big bayonet type thing, Mm -hmm. which Sadie had. And, like, that part was right, which I also thought was cool. But I, I don't know. I just I really love like Quentin Tarantino's thing of like solving history with flamethrowers. <laughs> like, like, I feel like that's prop cop popped up in a couple of movies now where it's like, oh, no, here are these terrible people. It's OK. Someone's got a flamethrower. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, all right. Good. It's a fun weapon. It's a, <laughs> it's a fun weapon. <laughs> I the one thing speaking of the flamethrower that I did like is how basically the end of Inglorious Bastards was reenacted and Leonardo DiCaprio got to, like, star in that movie. Yeah. Which, like, makes me wonder if it's a bigger universe here and that, like, we're showing the logical extent of what would happen after Inglorious Bastards happened in real life. So you guys do know that all of Tarantino's things are in the same universe, right? I do now because you said it. I knew loosely. Like, I didn't know that it was all of his films. Um. Michael Marsden's character in Reservoir Dogs is brothers with John Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction. Okay. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there, there's like all all these different connecting threads. Michael Parks from Tusk plays like the same character in three of the three different movies. Um. Wow. I feel like uh, Hateful Eight was supposed to be a Django Unchained sequel, but then they changed their minds. But yeah, there's a whole connected, connected universe. And 
the red apple tobacco is part of the threads that connect it. it is a that's very really cool world. Very yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and part of it goes back to like, it's a world where Hitler was killed in a the theater. Spoilers for Inglorious Bastards, but like, <laughs> it, it's like the, the Tarantino butterfly effect. Yeah. Like I kind of want yeah. him to make his Star Trek. That way we see what start, what his Star Trek looks like because of all this. Like, Okay, so I, I the mirror universe. I found the answer oh, to cool. what we were talking about before with Maya Hawk, uh, daughter of Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman, who yeah. has appeared yeah. in multiple Grand Tarantino stuff. Okay, so the character Flower Child is shown having cold feet on going through with the murders and flees the scene in the 1959 Ford Galaxy, is based on Linda Casbian who became a witness to the prosecution in the murder trial of Tex, Patricia and Susan in real oh. life. Caspian was ordered by Tex to wait in the car during which she heard oh. the murders inside the ta- residence take place and witnessed the murder of some guy's name. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it looks Swedish. Oh, Voitech? Yes. Yeah. Um, Caspian claimed she wanted to, to drive away, but was too scared. So that's so, who, that's who it wow. was. Wow. He gave her. So a then chance. she got to drive away. Yeah. I figured I like that. I figured that that character had to have been innocent, even though she was there. Yeah. Of, of, you know, just not knowing what was going on or, or I mean, she's an accomplice, forced. but she was, she didn't actually kill anyone. So, yeah. um, she, she went off to go scoop ice cream. <laughs> yeah she did yeah, she did uh so let's talk, let's talk about other famous people who are in this movie did you get we, we spent a good chunk of last year watching kevin smith movies did you guys catch uh the big kevin smith cameo in this it's not kevin what? smith himself harley quinn smith is one of the girls is she really yep oh that's so cool i missed that yeah um who is she she's she shows up when they're walking, like when they're going through the dumpster, she's there. She holding the pickles. No, that was, uh, no, no, no. The girl in front of her. I like, think so. The, yeah. Yeah. It was the girl in front of the brunette that the eventually tall hangs out in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Which is really cool because Tarantino and Kevin Smith both had their big years in 1994 with a uh, he who should not be named. Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Awkward. So you guys talked a little bit about the flamethrower, but I was looking for that. Um, yeah. Best use of Chekhov's gun I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, that whole, that whole end sequence when they come in and like, I am the devil. He's like, no, nah, it was stupider than that. Like just trying to remember. His <laughs> like that scene alone, like Brad Pitt, like doing the, like controlling the dog, telling him to attack and then just yeah. be- being them both beating the shit out of the three murderers. was just wonderful. Like I enjoyed that sequence so much. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, all of that was so good, but that, that kind of humor, like Brad Pitt going like, no, nah, I was stupid than that. And like, just being generally above that scene and not buying into like the gravitas they were trying to bring to it. I love that humor so much. Yeah. 
And even Brad Pitt, even in like the award season was having fun with it because he would like go to award shows and just wear a name tag that says, hi, my name is Brad Pitt. (laughs) 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 Um, So I, I, I also heard that him and DiCaprio loved working together and I would love to see them do something else. Oh yeah. Titanic so 2. Cool. Electric Batman movie. and Robin reboot. Yes. Who would be Batman? Who would be Robin? Brad Pitt would be Batman. Brad Pitt would be Batman. Yeah. 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 I, I think you're right. I think it would be more entertaining if he was Robin. I really do. They change the dynamic where, like, Robin's secretly, like, way better than Batman, but, like, Batman keeps treating him like he's just his little kid. Robin's just carrying Batman's load. No, no. I'm saying I think it would be funny if Brad Pitt was Robin. Like, that, like, have, you know, it's like you're expecting him to be better, but in reality, he's new at it, so he's not. I feel like in the 90s, I could have definitely seen him as Robin in Batman Forever. No, no, no. No, I'm saying I I don't see it now. I, I I have a hard time seeing a grown up Robin. Robin's got. I, I am talking about a non serious Batman film that is meant to be silly. Brad oh. Pitt as Robin. Oh, so you're Leonardo talking Leonardo DiCaprio as Batman. So you're saying like an Adam West re, Adam West reboot with those two, like yes. Adam West Batman. Okay, yeah, I'll that see, would be I, fun. See that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> that would be it makes cool. me wonder if they actually had like a a plan to do a cameo for Batman and Robin. Cause he did green Hornet, which was like the same studio well, and green Hornet and Batman and Robin overlapped at their show. Yeah. So they could have been filming on the same set. They, uh, overlapped yeah. in the comics too. Yeah. Like they, oh, do they? they did a, uh, Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman did a green Hornet meets Batman 66 comic arc. Yeah. That's, one, that's one of the things I got Kevin Smith to sign when I met him in May. Now I just need to get Ralph Garden to cool. sign sign it, so then I have both. Yeah, I'm collecting all the signatures. Soon I will have the Infinity Gauntlet filled, and I will be able to. <laughs> I don't know what I'll do. Something uh, snap and ultimate comic comic crossover will happen or something. Just the ultimate convention. There you go. <laughs> um, I don't know what else we got. Oh, I know what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the music. What What's your favorite use of music in this? The entire scene that Brad Pitt's driving the Cadillac from dropping Leonardo DiCaprio off to back to his house. Okay. Where they go through like seven songs. Okay. Devin, how about you? I'm furiously Googling. Um, So they did a version of a popular song that wasn't the well-known version of it. Or like they did like a cover of a popular song and I can't. November, figure out November what rain. Uh, it was the mama's and the no, it was, song that they covered. That one. It was the mama's and the Cal- papa Calif- song. Calif- that one. Uh, California yeah. Dreamin'. Dreamland. Yeah. Yeah. It was their cover of California Dreamin'. Where like I was so into like the acting and the plot, I didn't pay attention to any of the music until that happened, and I went, "Oh, that's really good." Yeah, I, I like that. Um, Maybe that- it wasn't a cover. Maybe that was the original. No, it was a cover. That would have no, been no, no, no. so I mean, cool, though. In the movie, because of all these different changes, the Mamas and the Papas don't exist as no, an they do. group. They do, because so, Mama Cass is in this. No. What? Mama Cass is in this? Yeah, Mama Cass is in this. She's at the Playboy Mansion. So then Sharon, Tate, was, Sharon Tate shows up. She's like, oh, hi, Cass. And then they go out on the dance floor. What I'm saying is that because of all these different changes, 
because you know Hitler dies in the theater, all, all these different historical changes. Maybe they're not the ones that end up with that song. Maybe that's true. In the in in the movie in Tarantino's world, Mamas and the Papas did not sing California Dreamland. Somebody else did. It's California Dreamin'. You keep saying Dreamland. I <laughs> I'm hearing double. I'm I mean, hearing I, yeah. Double. <laughs> yeah. I mean that would make sense though. Um. All right. So. Here's my question then, and this is more of a, a philosophical dumb Devin question. <laughs> if we're if we live in a world where Nazis were killed in a movie theater, Hitler was killed in a movie theater, is this really basically how history goes, where it's just mostly the same? Or like are more fundamental things going to change? And like I, I think the only reason I bring this up is because um I watched a, a critique of the movie or the yeah, the movie Bright, the Will Smith one where it's like mythical creatures. Mm-hmm. And like they started off as mythical creatures and then the world just kind of developed into what it is today. But also like fairies and gnomes and trolls are living here too. And like, is that a realistic portrayal of an alternate future? Like where that happens or like, are we just saying that, you know, the world's going to do what the world's going to do regardless of a couple of major events changing. Uh, I, I think comparing it to bright might be a little bit much too much thing. Yeah. Uh, I think that changing just 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 a few things like Hitler dying maybe two years earlier the way that he dies mm-hmm. or was like a year earlier than he normally would or two or three. I don't really mm-hmm. think would change that much in the grand scheme of things because. Well, think, think of it, about it this way. If the war doesn't go on for, let's say it's two years, he dies two years earlier. Yeah. If the year if the war doesn't go on for those extra two years, how many lives continue and don't how many people don't die because of the war whether it's in a concentration camp whether it's in battle just having let's say it's a million people who don't die yeah having those million people in the world that's going to have a huge impact on whatever it's going to look like 20 years from then true it is so but from what devin's asking is from inglorious bastards to this movie so mm-hmm. in like a 20 year span does a world where Hitler dies two, two, or, two or three years earlier, saving all those millions of people, it still kind of looks the same. You know, there's a little, there's some differences, but it still kind of looks the same. We're still headbutting with Russia. I think, yes, that even though you might save 30, 50, 40, I don't know, 100 million people, I still think you're still going to have the type of society that we had in the sixties. You're still going to have the hippies. You're oh, still going to have me. Oh well, yeah. I, but mm-hmm. I think we're just seeing a small cul-de-sac of what the world looks like. Right. In this film. I feel like there are changes beyond just Rick Dalton existing. Cause you got to figure maybe, yeah. Rick, maybe Rick Dalton was a soldier who died in world war two when Hitler died in the bunker. Maybe when they killed him in the theater, he gets to survive it because he's about the right age, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. He would have. He would have probably been drafted. He was in his fifties. Yeah. 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 So, or he might have volunteered. Definitely. Um. So, I th- I think I think Rick Dalton is your prime example of yeah things are going to change and they can have they can have drastic effects, but I I don't think it's I think this is just a small window into what the world looks like because of that. And I would love to see like in-depth explorations of what the, what would happen. 
So I, yeah, gotcha. I know. I agree. Cause my yeah. thing is mainly off the whole bright example. Like I'm not, yeah, I, I don't give a shit about bright. <laughs> I don't, either. I'm just going off of how Devin proposed the question. I'm trying not to swear on this right. anymore. You're going to have drastic Aww. changes with people being alive. You're going to have, who knows? Walmart probably doesn't exist because you probably have three other people who are retail Titans who, you know, okay. create stores too. So, so, so Kmart's probably still, so, I mean, there's going to be big changes when, when it comes to people and inventions and ideas and, and Walmart, things like that. Yes. But Walmart doesn't exist. We never meet. We never do this podcast. We never get to talk. Oh, about this no. Movie. But worst but, timeline. I still feel that the normal day to day life of issues and health insurance mm-hmm. and jobs and being broke and stuff like that is still going to be a thing. The overall life experience is not going to change. Events are going to change. Historical events are going to mm-hmm. change. Hell, maybe 9-11 doesn't happen in Tarantino's world. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something else. Maybe they, maybe, maybe, who knows? Maybe, the, maybe they just go after the Pentagon or maybe it's the Seattle, the Seattle Sky Needle or it's the Sears Tower in Chicago. But still, like major, you know, major so, historical events would change, but your average day to day life wouldn't. So in this timeline, there's an episode of Frasier where he has to deal with 9 11 happening in Seattle. Oh, man. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, wow. I mean, it's possible. Hey, would would yeah. they address it or would they do the friends thing where they just kind of don't acknowledge it? At and all? they just wear I New think, York and firefighter stuff the entire yeah. season. Yeah. I think Frazier would have addressed it. I think Frazier was the kind of show that it, if it happened that close to him, they're like, we can't not talk about it. And they'd find a very sophisticated way to do it. Yeah. I think you just have him on the, the show talking. Yeah. Oh, man. It's got deep. You want that now, don't you? Maybe, but maybe it's not him playing Frasier. Maybe it's Niles. Maybe it's the actor Niles playing the character of Frasier. That would be weird. That'd be cool. In this world, uh, Tom Selleck is still Indiana Jones. Like, (laughs) Magnum P.I. never happened. Um, Okay, I'm trying to think what else I had note-wise, because we got to wrap this up here soon. Somebody's got a hard out. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the one thing that I do want to just kind of wrap my my side up with, I loved when the title happened. I loved that it was as, like, a very alive, very happy Sharon Tate was walking a now-fulfilled Rick Dalton into their house. Like, they were just as starstruck by him as he was of them. Like he's his character arc was fulfilled, the overall historical character arc was filled, and then in a very storybook way, once upon a time in Hollywood showed up, and like it was a very sweet, touching moment. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and it was it was just the title giving you something that, and that doesn't happen in a lot of movies. Yeah, I love how they end it with, like Margot Robbie's big debut was Wolf of Wall Street with DiCaprio. Yeah. And they yeah. never have a scene together in this whole thing until the very end. Uh, I just love, I love that so much. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with that ending. Like the once upon a time, like the, the, the whole time, like this is just a once upon a time. Like it's a, it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino's, yeah. all Quentin Tarantino's movies are just fairy tales with a lot of blood and gore and bare feet. <laughs> and acid dip cigarettes. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Boy. Um, so I have two more things that I want to talk about real quick. So we watched, we watched the deleted scenes and we talked about the 
red apple cigarettes. James Marsden of Sonic the Hedgehog plays <laughs> Burt Reynolds in this commercial. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they cut it after Burt Reynolds died. Oh, that was a fun little tidbit to, to just see in the deleted scenes. Yeah. And then reading the credits, uh, he split them up in like different groups. So it was mm-hmm. like the, the Manson family, there's a section that says the gang and it's everyone who's in any, like all the Tarantino's movies. So it's Michael Marsden. I think, um, Kurt Russell was in there. Tim Roth was listed, but beside it, oh. in parentheses was cut. Tim Roth was supposed to be oh. in this movie and they cut him. Hmm. What would, you know what he was supposed to be? I don't, I really, I have no idea. Um, that's such a shame. It is like I it really makes me want to see the extended cut now because I liked him Roth. Um, yeah, he was. I'm trying to think of the most obscure thing I can list. <laughs> okay, so do you remember the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes? Yeah, he was the evil ape. <laughs> he, wow, <laughs> he's he's you saw Reservoir Dogs, right? Yeah, he's the cop. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was on Lie to Me. You remember that show? Where the guy could just, he's like a human lie detector. One episode. I used to love it, it, that show. It aired after House. Yeah. Yeah. Watched one episode. He, oh, you didn't like it? He was the abomination in The Incredible Hulk. There. Yeah. I gave you three. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. All else fails, bring it back to Marvel. Um, <laughs> okay. So, Brian, any final thoughts? I mean, I, it was good. Uh, it was well done. I mean, to me, this is like every everything that Tarantino does builds on the next one and he gets better and better and better. And that's yeah. how I view this. Like, this is just the mm-hmm. next. This is this is just his next best thing that he's done. So I'm excited to see what he does next, even though it's only going to be, I think, two more films at least. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. He He has a set number of films. I think it's 10 and this was eight or nine. Oh, wow. So, but we'll see. Who knows? All right. So that does it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Yeah. Tune in next week where Ryan has Devin and I watch Ford v. Ferrari, Dawn of Justice. Yes. Ford versus Ferrari. It's Ford v. Ferrari. That's what it says. If If it's Batman v. Superman, it's Ford v. Ferrari. Versus you're not, you're not going to get me to say V it's stupid. <laughs> it's like a court case. Isn't, isn't it a legal drama versus. Okay. But isn't it a legal, legal doesn't it take, take place in the courtroom uh, it, versus. <laughs> you're not answering my question. Right. I am okay. versus. Okay. <laughs> Tune in next week where uh, Ryan has his watch Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> um, for you have to watch this podcast, I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And we'll see you next week. Bye.